Welcome to Grow With Soul, a simple marketing podcast by me, Kate Ferris, a creative business and marketing coach living in the mountains in North Wales. Grow With Soul is for creatives who either have their own business or who dream of having their own business and who want to grow slowly, sustainably and soulfully in their work and in their life. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of Grow a Soul. Today I'm in conversation with Nicole Antoinette, the host of the Real Talk Radio podcast and someone who is the best example I could think of of creating an income from your passion and values. I was keen to get Nicole on the show because she is always so honest and frank about money and the realities of life and business and because I knew she would have so much wisdom to share from her 12 plus years navigating the internet. In this episode, we talk about community building, Patreon and subscription-based business models, pricing and finances, the very practical application of your values in your business and experimenting and finding your way. There are just a ton of aha moments and permission slips in here and I'm so excited for you to listen. Hi, Nicole. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming on. I've been so excited to well, I say introduce you to everyone. They may already know who you are and it's quite likely that they will, but to kind of maybe introduce the sort of difference that you represent in terms of running a business and and a life that is kind of different. Yeah, definitely doing some non-traditional things. So <laughs> happy to to talk about that. It's fun. Your episode on my podcast was really popular and I got lots of great feedback about it. So it's always fun to get to essentially like continue the conversation, yeah. but in a different way, right? Like yeah. in sort of a different container. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, putting you on the hot seat this time. <laughs> it's okay. I think I'm ready, I think. <laughs> so you mentioned your podcast there as well. Um, so for anybody who, has never heard of you before or isn't aware of the podcast can you just fill us in a little bit on you know what the podcast is what your business is and a little bit of the story to kind of how you've got to the place you are at now with everything Yeah, sure. Um, So I host a show called Real Talk Radio, which is basically just a home for honest conversations about any topic under the sun. It's not a topic specific show. The through line is really just long, honest conversations with people about their real lives. So, you know, that can be business related. It can be, you know, sex, money, parenting, like literally anything, right, is covered. Um, I've been doing that since 2015. I also host retreats that sort of play off that same theme really for people who want to make new friends, have those types of really like real honest conversations about like maybe more taboo subjects that we don't get to talk about that much, you know, in a lot of our social circles, unfortunately, and to be able to make those connections and kind of focus not just on having those conversations with other people, but having more honest conversations with ourselves. That's something that I'm really passionate about of being honest with yourself, asking yourself, you know, simple questions and answering them honestly, I have found to be quite transformative in my own life. And so a lot of the work that I do centers around really goal setting from that place of self-honesty. So I guess like in a nutshell, the podcast and the retreats work-wise are the main facets of my business. How I got here, ooh, long story. (laughs) I will try to make it short for you. 
In 2007, I started a personal blog, which in internet years feels like an ancient long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) I spent my entire adult life on the internet. Um, I started a personal blog. I've always been kind of a writer, a journaler, someone who enjoys sharing personal stories, someone who really connects with the truth in other people's stories. I've always loved reading memoir, right? Just hearing other people talk about what's true in their lives. I'm all about that. So I started a personal blog, had no idea of ever turning it into a business or, you know, the sort of online business world as it exists now was Mm. not at all present, right, in 2007. So it was really just a little hobby, a thing to do. And I wrote about all aspects of my life and I was really honest and I did that for years. And the personal blogging space back then, if anyone remembers, it really was like a lovely way to make friends. You know, people would comment a lot on each other's blogs. It was kind of pre a lot of the social media stuff. And I met some great friends and great community. And it was just this like fun part of my life. And I wound up taking those relationships offline. I would host some different kind of parties and events. And I was a pretty notorious party girl back then. (laughs) That was like a big part of my brand. I was the one who would like host the tequila happy hour or, you know, whatever. And, you know, that was just a lot of what people associated me with was this kind of partying atmosphere. And in May of 2011, I quit drinking. And that was a huge personal change and also caused me a lot of fear in that I had become known sort of as Mm. one thing and wanting to make a change, really needing to make a change in my life and like wondering what does that mean for my blog? What does it mean for these sort of events that I had started? You know, I hosted meetups for personal bloggers, you know, kind of a retreat in Vegas that was very party centric. And so I had built up a little bit of a, I don't even know if business is the right word, but side hustle around it, I guess. And then I quit drinking and really over a period of a couple of years changed my entire life in that regard and wrote about it really publicly and was interested to find that it actually, you know, some people left, sure, like some people weren't interested, but a lot of people were. And a lot of people would email me very similar questions of, hey, you seem like just a regular woman who did this. I'm having trouble making this change in my life. Like, can you help me? Or, you know, just people who really saw, hey, this is just like a real person kind of going through it. And I started to get a lot of similar questions, a lot of people who were interested in potentially quitting drinking, but more getting into running. That was something else that I had done when I quit drinking. I started running as like a complete non-athlete. I had never been athletic in my life at all. And people really connected with that and thought, oh, hey, if she can go from like barely being able to run for two minutes to being able to run half marathons, like maybe I could do it too. And so long story short, I started with my running coach, a small program for people essentially like me who were real complete beginners who wanted to run their first half marathon. And so I built up this small but thriving online business that was really focused around sort of those themes like running and changing your life. And I did that for a couple of years, all the way up until early 2015, when I was feeling very burned out by it. I had kind of fallen out of love with running myself personally and felt, I don't know if you can relate to this, but felt sort of like I was in another identity cage where, Mm -hmm. you know, before it was, well, my public brand was sort of associated with like drinking and then I didn't do that. So what does that mean? And then my public brand was really associated with running and then I didn't do that anymore. So what does that mean? And I had this realization that I no longer wanted to tie my livelihood to my hobbies because it can be really limiting. What happens if you don't want to do that thing anymore? Mm -hmm. And I wasn't running. And so I didn't really want to host a 
program for that because, you know, my interests had changed. And um, there's obviously a lot of different kind of inflection points in here we could dig into. But I wound up wrapping up that business and taking a short sabbatical and taking time off work was possible because my former spouse earned quite a bit more money than I did and was able to cover things for us while I wasn't working. So that was a huge gift and privilege to be able to take some time off and after that time off, I wound up starting the podcast. So the podcast really came out of a desire to continue the heart of the work that I had always loved, like being honest about the messiness of life, but not through a topic-specific lens where it doesn't matter if my interests change, that there's really room to talk about everything. Mm. I really, I think, and I think that's really important because a question that I get all the time is about the niche or niche, as I think some some Americans say. It. I don't I don't really understand <laughs> that it's that you have to have the thing, and you talk about everything about the thing, and you sort of back yourself into a corner. Which it sounds like that's what your experience was: is that you had a thing and then just got caged in by it, and that now that's almost turned on its well, it is turned on its head to be the topic is irrelevant it's the the delivery and the format which kind of holds it together yeah i mean part of it for me was being honest with myself about really who i am at my core and i'm someone who i hesitate to say that i get bored easily because i think that sounds a little bit flippant but sort of right i'm like a very obsessive person i'll like completely fall in love with something whether it's you know uh, a research interest or you know a personal hobby or something that i want to explore work wise and it really holds my attention for maybe a couple years but i really do find every like 2 to 4 years that there's like an in- sort of reinvention that happens and I used to give myself a really hard time about that because it's it's sort of the narrative that we're told is like you said you have to pick one thing and you have to be really good at that thing right you you know go to university and you choose the thing and then that's the career and you get on that career path and then you keep moving up that ladder you know forever until you retire in your 60s and you've like achieved some like pinnacle of that career and if that's true for folks that's great but it's that is not true for me. I have a lot of different interests. I'm definitely like a multi-passionate person. And I kept trying to like fit myself into different boxes and like really just kept, it felt like square peg in a round hole. Mm. And to finally, like when I was taking that sabbatical, I had to step back and be like, what if this isn't a weakness? Like what if it's only a weakness if I'm trying to force myself to be someone that I'm not? So can I build a business that is flexible? Can I like have that baked into what I'm doing that like eventually, like, I don't think I'm going to host a podcast forever. Right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I would be very surprised. Like the fact that I'm in year, what, five almost of doing this, like, that's shocking to me. And the only reason it's had that kind of longevity is because I've given myself space to do new things, right? Try different things, launch this, do this. And there's like experimentation is like a huge value of mine and is very built into the way that I operate my business and my life. And that's been really helpful is to just accept like, hey, I'm someone who doesn't just want to do one thing. And my experience has been that for the most part, people who like your work are fine with whatever you choose to do as long as you're like honest about it and consistent, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not like I sometimes do the podcast and I sometimes don't, right? It's like, this is what I'm doing. And at such point as I didn't want to do it anymore, then I would just stop. Yeah, I I think that it's... and I've, I've spoken about it a few times about just this intangible feeling that comes across from your own intention and beliefs about something that that, that decides what whether something lands or not. Like, so some people will be like, what's the way that I can get people to buy this 
product or whatever. It's like, well, if you're coming at it from that point of view, then let, people are going to feel that. But if you come at this being like, this is a bit out there, but I'm so excited by it and I've had the best time creating it and I can't wait to share it with you guys. Like That just comes across in, in this way that you can't fake. And so that honesty and integrity through everything from conception of an idea, through execution, through promotion, is so important as a red thread to make it land at the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So in, so we've got the podcast. <laughs> um, and in terms then of how you make money, because there's probably a lot of people who are like, well, I got a podcast and like <laughs> it's costing me money. Was that a very intentional process of like, I'm turning this podcast into a business? Or was it, has it unraveled over time of, oh, I need to make money from this thing now. Here's an option. So at the very beginning, when I started the podcast, I had been interested in doing a podcast for about, I'd say about a year, maybe a year and a half. I'd been thinking about it. And I was really hesitant to pull the trigger and actually get started. And part of the reason was what I just mentioned of like, is this going to be something that I start and then I wind up not liking and, you know, I can't just keep quitting things, right? Mm -hmm. There was like a lot of fear in that. And like one of the tricky things is that you don't know how you feel about something until you try it, right? Like I could have talked to 10 different people who hosted podcasts and like learned their experience. I could have researched it. I could have done all like, and I, I did some versions of that. But at the end of the day, you just, you don't know what your experience is going to be of something until you try it. And that's kind of going back to why I love experimentation so much. And so for me at the beginning, what sort of gave me or I gave myself permission to do this, which is why I started the show was I said, okay, I'm going to do eight episodes. And I am like, I was very public about it. I'm trying this new thing. I think, you know, I'm really interested in this. If I enjoy these eight episodes, if you guys enjoy these eight episodes, like then it's something that I'm going to move into. But I was very, very public about the fact that it's not like I'm starting a podcast and now I'm like a capital P podcaster forever, Mm -hmm. right? Like that Mm -hmm. wasn't of interest to me. And as I mentioned before, you know, having been, you know, in a marriage where I didn't have to earn money right away with this project, which it's funny, I'm like always really interested in talking about where money comes from, especially for creative work and online work, right? Because at the end of the day, money has to come from somewhere. It's either you're doing it as a side hustle alongside like, you know, kind of a full-time salary job, or you're using credit cards, or you're using savings, or you're having like family or spousal support. Like there's really only like a handful of places where money can come from for this type of stuff. And I am always very interested and grateful when people are willing to say like what that was for them. And so for me, being able to start this podcast without the pressure of, oh my God, this has to make money from day one was a hundred percent like a result of my circumstances. Not to say I couldn't have done it otherwise, but not having that much pressure on it Mm -hmm. allowed it I don't enjoy pressure on my creative projects, right? Like I can handle pressure and hustle in like other types of work or if I'm working for someone else, but for me to sit down and say, I have to, you know, staring at a blank page, I have to write this thing that's going to like pay for groceries. Like tomorrow is too stressful for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people create well, I think like with their back against the wall and I am not one of those people. So what I needed was, you know, sort of creative freedom. And I was lucky that I had the space to be able to do that. And so at the beginning, it did not make money for the first couple of seasons. And then I experimented with advertising and sponsors. So um, sort of my understanding of like most podcasts, as far as like the monetization model, either there's ads, right? Like ads Mm -hmm. or sponsors, or it is the marketing arm of an existing business, right? Like coaches, stuff like that. And uh, like yours, right? Something like that. And 
so, but I was starting a standalone podcast and I wasn't super interested in advertising. I tried it for two seasons. So I used to create my show, like I would release one eight episode season, like all at once every other month. So, you know, for two seasons, I experimented with advertising. I did Audible's program for like audiobooks, And then I did a partnership with like a small business based here in Bend where I live, whose like products I actually use and love. And it's not that those didn't go well. They certainly did, but I realized really quickly that I don't feel comfortable promoting something that I'm not like 100% in love with, right? Like Mm -hmm. I actually super use this product and there aren't that many of those products, if I'm honest. There just aren't that many things that I feel like that strongly about. And for a show like mine, that's really based in like honest conversations that are not prescriptive, that like are sort of the anti trying to get someone to fix themselves, right? Like that's not what my show is about at all. And I just, it didn't feel like it was in integrity or in alignment for me to have advertising because it just didn't match with the rest of the show. And which isn't to like throw shade at people who choose that model, right? Like different things are different, like a better fit for different people, but I didn't feel good about it. And if I've learned anything, you know, in working for myself and the type of person I am, I cannot fake it. Like I can't do something that like really doesn't feel like a good thing to do for me personally. And so it became obvious pretty quickly that advertising wasn't going to be a model that worked for me. And so it was sort of like, well, if I'm not promoting an existing business and I'm not willing to do advertising, what am I left with? Mm -hmm. And that's how I landed on Patreon. For folks who don't know, Patreon is essentially a subscription model. There's a couple different ways to run it, but I think of it as a cross between like an ongoing PayPal subscription and a Kickstarter, right? Which is a one-time thing. It's basically a way for creatives to earn money directly for their work. And so that's where I got the idea to start Patreon and started that in 2016. Mm. And am I right in thinking that your Patreon pays for everything, more or less? For the show, yeah. yeah. So, but that has built up over time, right? Mm-hmm. So, at the beginning, the, the the one of the tough things about using Patreon for a podcast is, and not just a podcast, but you know, as a lot of us know, I'm sure like folks listening can relate to this. There is an expectation that there that incredibly high quality creative content on the internet is free, like whether it's blogs or like you know, video series or documentaries on YouTube or podcasts. Like we are just used to getting all of this for free. The thing is, it's not actually free because we're being being marketed to in different ways that our listenership on a podcast is being sold to an advertiser, right? And like Mm -hmm. listening to the ads is sort of like the price, you know, in in air quotes, like the price that we pay for getting that for free. And so... It, it really sort of is like pushing sometimes like a, you know, boulder up a sand mountain, trying to do a monetization model that is like already you have to sort of like convince people that like high quality creative content is worth paying for. And so that's definitely been like an obstacle uh, for me for sure, which we can talk about if you want mm-hmm. to. But so at the beginning, you know, it wasn't earning that much money. I will say for me, because I have done so many different iterations of personal story sharing and online business, I had like a quite loyal existing audience when I started this. I have no idea how it would have worked out had I started completely from scratch Mm -hmm. because I had people who were excited that I was coming back from the sabbatical, that were excited that I was doing this thing. I had like a decent email list that I was able to kind of pivot to this new thing. And I think because of like years and years of, you know, trust with these folks and good work, people were more willing to take a chance on paying for this than they maybe would have been otherwise. So that was certainly something that worked in my favor. And then towards the end of 2016, I got to the point where the Patreon wasn't making enough money 
to make it feel worth it for me. And so I sat down and did the math, you know, how much time does it take to create this show and kind of the bonuses that I offer on Patreon? What is my time worth, right? Like actually did the math around it and came up with a number that I needed each season of the podcast to bring in a minimum of that. Otherwise I wasn't going to do it anymore. And so Patreon lets you set public funding goals, right? That like people in your community can see and they can track your progress to those goals. And so in the last couple months of 2016, I set a very public funding goal. It was like, here's the level. If we reach this by the end of the year, I'm going to keep doing this podcast. If not, I'm not. And that was a real turning point for me because it involved and it required me getting to the point that I was like willing to walk away from something that I love doing. But, you know, I was very clear to your like original question that it wasn't a hobby, right? Like this, this was a business. And for me to have like a very clear delineation between like a hobby is something that I do for fun. And I think that we can get kind of lost in translation of the, well, I really love this work. So like, is it really work? Well, yeah, it's right. Like that this was a business and not a hobby. I wasn't willing to make this podcast for free, particularly because of the overhead. I pay a sound engineer. That was something I was never looking, you know, to learn how to do myself and Mm -hmm. paying a sound engineer, paying all the hosting costs, like all this type of stuff. I wasn't looking to like lose money on a hobby, right? Like that wasn't what I was interested in. And so I set that public funding goal and I was really proud of myself for doing it for that reason. And also because one of my sort of intentions around that time was to raise and elevate the conversation of the fact that like creative work is work and that this like the podcasts that we love to listen to and like the blogs that we devour and the people whose newsletters you know we open as soon as they hit our inbox like that's real work and that takes skill and talent and you know like time and all of this and so it was really it allowed for some interesting conversations within my community of like let's rethink what it is that we're paying for like I would never walk into you know, a store at the mall and just like take a sweater. And I wouldn't like walk into Starbucks and expect them to give me like a latte for free. And yet I'm totally fine, like consuming hours and hours and hours of people's like creative labor for free. Like something in yeah. that model seems And I'm not to even going to write a review. Like I can't yeah, even. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that that seems broken to me. And so part of what I wanted in doing this podcast was if I didn't meet the funding goal was at least to move this conversation forward Mm -hmm. to be like, there's a real like a ramification for like, if the money isn't there, then the thing can't continue, right? There's like a a real kind of like Mm. cost essentially. And I did meet the funding goal, which was great. But had I not, I would have been very willing to walk away. And so like from then on, I feel like I took the work quite a bit more seriously. I think that other people did too. I think that they really felt like they were buying into kind of these like shared values, right? The way that we spend our money, it is like a representation of our values for the most part. And obviously having the privilege to make those kind of choices and have disposable income is, you know, uh, like a separate conversation. But so from there, it has continued to grow and yes, pays all of its cost, pays me, pays my sound engineer. And I also pay all of my guests, which we can talk about if you want to. That's also not standard in the podcast industry. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's really important what you said there, because I talk a lot about having a greater purpose and a greater why than your product. And your example you just gave there was a really nice, neat one where people aren't paying you for the podcast because they can get that for free. They're paying you because they want to be the sort of person who pays creatives and who believes in the value of creative work and they want to be at the forefront of changing this conversation and the the whole of the the way we interact as humans with the internet. To, they really want to be at the forefront of that and that's what they're paying for, less so than 
you know, the podcast that they can get for free if they want to. So I think that's a really important point to make. And I also want to pick up where you talked about how initially getting people to start paying for the free thing was like pushing a boulder up a sand mountain. And so it'd be great to dig a little bit more into what you were finding at that point and also how much you found making the funding goal public. Was that like a really galvanizing thing for that? Or was that also a bit of an uphill struggle to get people on board with the the funding goal? I mean, yeah, I, I think making that funding goal and not just making a funding goal, but making a funding goal where it was very clear that this will not continue if we don't meet this goal, that was a real turning point. And so in the sort of outro of my podcast, I do little quick, you know, five to 10 minute hot seat interviews with people in my Patreon community. So there are there's like a different person featured on every outro. And one of the questions that I ask is why they decided to start supporting the show. And people who were around in the community, you know, around that time, like 2016-ish, will often speak about like, oh, when you set that funding goal publicly, that really made me think, I love listening to this. I want this to continue. Why should I assume that other people should have to pay for it, right? But I shouldn't have to pay for it. And that was definitely the biggest turning point in that. And then you know, one of the nice things that Patreon does, because you set funding tiers, right? Like people pay, they can choose their funding tier. And with Patreon, you can either choose to charge per month or to charge per creation. And so I charge per creation. I charge per episode of the podcast. The reason I chose not to charge per month is because I would like to be able to take breaks. One of the other things that I have learned in the last, you know, however many years of working on the internet is the sort of relentless pace of you always have to be putting out new content doesn't work for me as a creator and also is exhausting to me as a consumer of other people's work. Mm -hmm. I love when people take breaks. Like I'm a big fan of like give people time to miss you, right? Like Mm -hmm. I don't need to see you on Instagram every day. I don't need, you know, the, the people whose work I love the most, if their email newsletter comes once a month, like I'm excited to read it once a month. And so I realized as a self-employed creative who doesn't have paid time off, who doesn't have sick leave, right? This type of stuff that I really need to, it's up to me to make my business more humane. And it's up to me to be a good boss to myself, which I wasn't for a really long time. And part of that was being able to take breaks. And so I would love to be able to, hey, I'm going to take a month off here. I'm going to do this. And the only way to set up Patreon for me that felt good about that is if people weren't getting charged during that time. So I charge per episode. So if there is a month that I would like to take a month off, sure, the trade-off is I won't be earning money during that month, but I also won't be creating new things and people won't be charged for that. So that was part of my decision-making. But with the tiers on Patreon, you can set up like bonuses, right? So people who are in the $1 per episode tier have access to certain bonuses. People in the $2 tier have access to like more bonuses. And so I do what I think is like some really cool bonus content for my community. And definitely there are people who pay, you know, because of course they could get the podcast for free. They are, like you said, supporting kind of the value of paying for creative work. And also I think that they are buying into some of what they get for the bonuses Mm -hmm. as well. So I'm really intrigued by Patreon and especially with you because I know that a lot for a lot of people a Patreon is like a kind of a bit of pocket money almost it's like a little tiny amount that they get that just almost kind of make themselves feel better like oh I'm getting something in at least but for you it is really kind of the main place where you are so I wonder whether you had anything that you've learned or anything that you think really makes a Patreon I hate using the word successful, but makes a Patreon 
more than just a little bit of pocket change that you're getting every month that really makes it a fundamental part of your business? I think for me that the answer to your question is actually in the question itself because I think that it is successful in my business because it is the fundamental part of the business, right? Like Mm -hmm. I have seen other podcasts, for example, that have Patreon or that use Patreon that also have like ads and sponsors. And for me, I'm like, I wouldn't join that like, why am I, if I'm already having to listen to ads and they're making money through that. And that's just like my very honest, like perception as a consumer, right. That like it splits the focus, right. Like the call is like too many calls to action almost that it's like, Oh, they want you to like mm-hmm. check out their sponsor. And then also this thing. And then also they have a Patreon. Like it, it, it's too much. Like I have found more success on choosing sort of like one home base, whether that's like one social media channel or one, you know, type of thing like Patreon and going sort of all in with that. And that's not going to work for everyone. But for me specifically, the fact that like that is the funding model, that is where the money comes from. I'm very transparent about that. I think that people can wrap their minds around it and that it makes sense. And so for me, like I was never using it as like pocket change. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I think part of it is the intention and that comes across in like, it's very, it's very clear to anyone who listens to this, to my episodes or who's in the community that like, I love this work like so dearly and desperately and it's a business. And like that, I feel like has positive returns because if you treat it that way, then I think that other people treat it that way as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, within Patreon, I feel like they have a really great kind of like creators blog and resources and stuff. And there's plenty of, you know, lists on what make good bonuses and like how often to refresh your tiers and like some of the best practices, right. That they'll advise. I also from time to time will look at some of, I mean, the top earners on Patreon are earning like (laughs) a lot of money and I am certainly not anywhere near that like size or scope yet. I would love to be, but I think that it's helpful too, to look at like, what are they doing? And, you know, there's certainly room for improvement for me. And, you know, I think maybe later this year, that's something that I'll focus on a little bit is how could I be using this tool better? And I think that's true for all of us and the tools that we decide Mm. to use. But I think it has just worked well because I've been consistent with it because I have prioritized it. And because I'm just really honest with my community. I mean, one of the, the tiers in Patreon, the $4 per episode tier, the sort of main bonus that I do at that level is at the end of month, at the end of every month, I publish like what I call a business and money report. And it is like a complete transparent, like financial breakdown of the business. So not just like, like how much money I made, what the sources of income were, lessons I learned, goals for the next month, things that felt frustrating, challenging, right? Like really the ins and outs of running this business for me. And, you know, it's been interesting to track how interested people are in that. Like they they love the content of the podcast, but also are interested in like the inner workings of this kind of business. And I'm very comfortable with that kind of transparency. Not everyone is, and that's fine, but I am. And so I've just like built that into my business. Yeah, I I can understand that interest as well because I like listen to some of my favorite podcasts and they're like, "Oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that." And I'm like, "You know what I really want? I just want to I want you to film your planning meeting and then share it with me. Like that's the product that I want to pay for because I just want to see those nuts and bolts elements of it." So I can totally get why people are drawn to that sort of level of detail about the ins and outs of things. 
Yeah, I feel like I break a lot of the like best practices advice, right? That I've like read on kind of business blogs and other things throughout the years. And especially the level of detail that I will talk about sort of like how the sausage gets made with the people who are paying me. Or like we have really interesting conversations sometimes at the retreats about like behind the scenes of the business and like new ideas I'm thinking of, just things that I think I, I people would say, oh, you shouldn't like get into that level of detail or, you know, you have to be more professional than that, whatever that means. And, you know, I mostly just do what works for me and have been, you know, or do what feels good to me and have been lucky that that attracts the right fit people. Mm. Well, it's funny you say that because I've like literally today been writing some stuff for one of my courses and about kind of the customer journey and how I visualize it and the, how I plan my content to get people to move through it and things. And I did have a moment of, I hope people are not feeling like they are, in a sausage factory moving through but I do think it's also useful that to see yourself as an example in somebody else's context and be like okay well when I saw that I thought this and then when I next saw the next post that changed my mind a little bit and I can see for myself how this has worked and now how I can apply it so I think it from from my point of view for me to talk about this is how I market my business this is why I've put this post here and this podcast there it helps people to kind of be like, oh, right, I can I can see the experience because I'm in the experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I feel going back to your question about, you know, what I think has made my Patreon successful. And I agree with you. I like bristle a little bit at the word successful because mm -hmm. success is like defined by the person, right? Like yeah. what you think is success might be different from what I think is success, but what it has allowed it to, you know, at least be break even and earning some income, right? I think two of the things that have worked really well well, one is that I feel a lot of very genuine respect for every single person who engages with my work and particularly who engages with my work like financially to the point where like I'm not going to do like bullshit stuff. And by that, I mean, I think about the things that I really dislike or that I haven't enjoyed in maybe other courses I've taken or other things. And like, so if I really don't like that on the consumer side, and maybe that works for someone else, but if I don't like it, I'm not going to do it, even if it's like, quote, good advice, right? Mm. So I just feel like a lot of respect there. And I think the other thing um, that has worked really well for me is I have a very co-creation mindset with my community. Like, you know, I, I mentioned before, like having them on outro but I do a lot of behind the scenes like hey you know what topic would you most love to hear talked about on the show like is there a guest you really want to hear about like I'm thinking when earlier in in 2019 I redid my business model on Patreon so instead of doing an entire eight episode season you know released four or five times a year I switched to doing three episodes per month kind of you know one per week, but three total per month. And that required an entire rebuilding of Patreon because people were pledged at a certain pledge amount per season. And I needed to change that to per episode, which was logistically like a whole thing. Mm. But, you know, in that process, I was, it was a very co-creation thing. Like, Hey, in this redo, everything's on the table. Do you love this bonus? Do you love this thing more than this? How about if we stop doing this and we do this instead and like letting people weigh in before final decisions are made that works really well for me. Mm. And I think that's really important because so often we think we have to make the thing so perfect and have all the answers and it's got to be all cross T's and dotted I's and it has to be absolutely right before it, it gets a chink of daylight on it. Whereas actually, isn't that so much more of a better customer experience for somebody to say, what do you want and I'll make it? 
and you're like okay well I'd love it if it was a bit more like this and then uh, okay and then you want then you want the thing even more rather than something that's been worked on behind a closed door for six months and then it comes out and you're sort of like yeah well it would have been nice if it had this as well and it just makes the experience and the product and the change that happens for people so much better yeah, I think so too. I mean, it, it goes back for me to having, you know, experimentation and like real humanity, like human messiness baked into the business. So right now, and you know, I, I don't know when this is going to come out, but the first quarter of 2020, I'm experimenting with themed months, right? So January is money month. So all three episodes that month are about money. And then, you know, February and March are each going to have different themes. And already from doing it for one month, I see some things that are great about it and some things that are really challenging on the production side. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I'll go back to more of a free flowing thing at later in the year but it's it was even within the community it was like hey we're going to try this for 3 months we'll see you know and just continuing to have that attitude i feel like sort of my main I don't know if like mission statement is the right word, but like the touchstone that I come back to over and over and over again is this idea that we're not alone. Mm. And, you know, if someone can listen to an episode or like interact, you know, with, with my work, my writing, anything, and like leave feeling less alone or more seen like that to me is like the most powerful gift that we can give each other is that reminder that like, Hey, you're not the only one who's afraid of this. You're not the only one who feels like you messed up. You're not the only one who doesn't know what to do. Right. Like all those different things. And I feel like having an experimental mindset baked into the business is sort of just like a subconscious permission slip for me and for other people that it's like, it's okay to just try stuff and see what happens. And the more that I have leaned into that, it feels like a big relief. Like I'm not trying to be a capital E expert on anything. Like I'm just a person, right? I like having these conversations. I'm a really good facilitator. There's like skills that I have for sure, but I'm just trying to like do my life and do it out loud with other people who also like share similar values and not trying to like be anything that I'm not like trying to be anything that I'm not really helps with like imposter syndrome and that kind of thing. Yeah. And just let it be enough. Let yourself be enough, I think is such an important thing that so many people I speak to, they're like, well, I do this, this and this, but I also think I should be doing this. Like, no, that's enough. Like what you've just said is completely interesting and intriguing and I want to know more about it you don't need to add on anything else so one thing that I would like to slightly pivot into is talking about the community a bit more because I know you said earlier on that it was it's been built since kind of 2007 over the time and also so how does that kind of look now do you see that you've got the kind of the same people pledging month after month do you have quite a lot of churn for want of a better word or do you you see a lot of new people coming through and how how does that kind of happen do you do it very intentionally or does it sort of happen naturally with the fact that the podcast is going out um I think that's a question no no it's it's good I also with these kind of questions too like I can make my best guess, you know, but it's, mm. it's sometimes like you never really know like which lever that you're pulling is the one that actually makes the big difference. I will say in terms of building the community, that is a question that I have gotten a lot from other folks, you know, throughout the years of, oh, you seem to have this really strong community, like any advice around that, which I think is obviously like a totally valid question. And unfortunately, I never really have a good mm. answer to that because mine happened so organically over such a large period of time. If I were starting completely from scratch, I, I actually don't know what I would do because I've never been in that situation, mm. right? Well, I that, think that's really important that you can say that to people because there are so many things like I need that I need to have that thing that she's got and it's like well that's 
it's good that you're like, well, I don't know what I do. <laughs> but I just started doing what was interesting to me and people followed along and it took years. And that's that's the thing that nobody wants to hear. But yeah, it is yeah, definitely. And that's not to say that, you know, the only way to have it happen is to, you know, have started something in 2007 and now in 2020 be here. Like, that's, of course, not the case. That just happens to be what's true for me. And like, if there's one thing I'm committed to, like, it's being honest about what has been true for me. And so that's what I'll say sort of about the building of the community. I, I have had com- like community turnover sort of during big pivot times, right? Like when I quit drinking and like moved into just like a different lifestyle, I was writing about different things. So that was Mm -hmm. of interest to some people and not others. And then, you know, same thing when I wrapped up my business, when I started the podcast, like there have definitely been sort of pivots that I've made in my own life where like my interests change and what I'm there for talking about changes. And that just naturally some people fall away and new people come. So that has definitely happened. Although a surprising number of people have really been in my corner of the internet for a long time. And that's been reassuring for me as a reminder that it's not necessarily a topic specific thing, right? That we do share values or, you know, we're kind of questioning and thinking about the world in the same way. And we're like interested in being on that journey together. As far as turnover within Patreon, I don't have a ton of turnover. I have less now since when I restructured the kind of the Patreon tiers and and the funding model in 2019, that was a big shakeup because anytime you're doing something like that, it like is a natural reevaluation point for people, right? Like, do I want to continue paying for this? Maybe if it's something they've been subscribing to, but not really using kind of, and it's been like more of a mindless Mm -hmm. thing to say like, okay, like this is a good time for me to opt out. So I did lose quite a few people during that time period, which I was, you know, prepared for. I knew that that was going to be the case. And it actually isn't growing that much. I, at the time of the recording last week, about a week and a half ago, I have started working with a business coach. There's some like particular issues in my business that I'm having that I am hopeful that we're going to be able to work on. And one of them is the growth of this kind of thing, because I have never really strategically tried to grow it. It has been just something that has happened to a satisfactory enough amount. And now I'm interested in doing it with some more purpose and some more intention. So some of the answer to your question is, I don't know yet, right? Like there are some things that I'm going to try, although I believe that it will be simpler and probably like more impactful, more enjoyable to have exist, like to try to focus my efforts on having existing people up level, right? So like Mm -hmm. maybe someone who's like currently pledging at $1 per episode, if they move to the $2 per episode, right? Like level. And if someone who's like at the $2 per episode level were to move to the $4 per episode level that, you know, if if a bunch of those changes happen, that would have a significant impact on my income. And that feels like a place that I would like to focus instead of necessarily focusing on new people because there's sort of an attitude around like showing a lot of love to the people who are already in your community as opposed to always just focusing on like growing more and more and being bigger that really resonates with my Mm. like natural kind of organic approach yeah I think that's the kind of the default place that we go to and think oh I want to I want to grow or I want to earn more money it's like I need more people whereas actually that's probably one of the worst things to do because you have a lag on that before they're actually going to be ready to buy because you're a stranger to them. They're like, I don't know if I like you or your stuff or like if this is something I want to buy. And you've got to spend a lot of time and effort and energy getting them to a place where they are ready to buy. Whereas the people who are already there and are knocking around and for you, they've already pledged or they might be regular podcast listeners who haven't pledged yet. Like that's a much shorter journey 
to getting them to actually pledge because they're there enjoying the thing and they like it and it's much easier it's just so much easier to get them to to that place so i think that's a, a good that's that's what i would have said today. <laughs> <laughs> well thanks yeah and you know there's a couple of new offerings that I am working on. And so part of it also is like, how can I like, what are the holes in what I'm currently offering that like for my most excited people, the people with whom we're like most aligned, that they would be interested in, like, how can I serve them in a different way? And so that's also something that I'm looking at, because my business, there's no middle ground, really. So like the podcast, which is technically free, I the um, essay series that I write, you know, twice a month is also free, people can pay for Patreon, which is, you know, a couple bucks a month or whatever. So like very low buy-in. And then I do retreats, which are quite a high investment. Right. And so I don't have currently have anything in that middle. Mm. Right. And so that's like an area that I am looking to slowly move into. And, you know, like I said, sort of with that co-creation mentality of, you know, the people who are the most engaged already, you know, the two retreats that I'm hosting in 2020, one was in early January and one is in July. You know, I capped them both at seven people. I'm really grateful that they both sold out and they sold out like pretty much exclusively from the Patreon community, right? Like it makes sense that the people who are already invested in the work want to, Mm -hmm. you know, go to the next level. So thinking about ways that I can provide additional, like, value for them is really of interest to me. And so that's been kind of fun to treat that as an experiment, right? Like if I were going to offer two new things this year, what feels like really good, what feels like more scalable and, you know, to start a play in that space. That's like my sort of one of my main business focuses for mm. 2020. Yeah, I, I do a similar thing as well is that because I found that I was missing something at the lower level. So everything to work with me was kind of over a hundred pounds. And so over the last kind of six months, I've put in more things that are are more accessible because what I wanted to create was a flow that people could buy like my planning kit, which is £19, and then they could buy a course, which would be 100 And then there might be in a year's time that one of my other courses is right for them, which is 200 And then eventually they might get to a point where they want to work one-on-one. But there is a flow through all the products and a kind of ecosystem that means that as people can grow up with me and they don't have to, you know, I'm here for this part of their life and experience and then they have to go off and find someone else that there is, there's a pathway through that. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I I think a lot about pricing and like price psychology and accessibility and like all of those are things that are important to me. And I did towards the end of 2019, again, as an experiment an offering that was essentially just like a printable workbook, right? Like end of year reflection, which like I said, kind of reflection and goal setting is a big piece of the retreats and the mastermind groups that, you know, come after the retreats that I run. And I thought, hey, I hosted six retreats last year and have learned a lot about this. You know, let me put together a series of questions that if people were to take a couple of hours, answer these questions, honestly, like I truly believe would be impactful for them. So I put together this workbook and put it up in a pay what you want format. And that was something that I was really interested in experimenting with because, again, like people are dealing with different budgets, right? And I am really for like to the best of my ability, I want things to be accessible. And I'm aware that like the retreats aren't necessarily. And with something that's so small, if it's capped at seven people, I unfortunately can't offer a scholarship place because the overhead on something like a retreat Mm -hmm. is so high that my profit margin is like that last person essentially, really, and or last person or two. And that is always something that feels 
not great to me because it isn't accessible, you know, to people who don't have the ability to travel to that place or to pay for that. And so creating a resource that like a workbook that is completely scalable, it's no more work for me if five people buy it or if, you know, 500 people buy it. I wanted to experiment with a pay what you want model and it was incredibly successful. It brought in, you know, for sure more income than I expected. I said in kind of the sales copy, I mean, it was like a paragraph, so I don't know if we can call that sales (laughs) copy, but you know, it's pay what you want with the minimum being a dollar. If that is for any reason, like out of your reach, email me and I will send you a copy for free. No questions asked. And I had three people that like took me up on that, that sent an email and got a copy for free. And that just something about doing that. It just felt so good. It's the same way that I felt when I started paying guests on my podcast. Like it just feels like so aligned with what I want to do that, you know, in terms of making decisions for my business, I've kind of, not that I'm obviously I'm working with a business coach. So I am like listening to advice, right. And like having mentorship and stuff, but I really keep tuning into like what feels really mm. good for me to do and using that as my compass for decision-making that sure. I could have like, priced this at $15. That was the suggested price, right? That I put, but I am like much, much happier with having done it this way. So as I start to introduce new offerings, you know, there's one that I'm interested in doing this year that I'm going to offer on a sliding scale again, like on an honor system. And to just think about like, I really want my business to be a representation of my values and like money is a part of that. Mm. Yeah. That's very, very interesting. And I love, I love that there is because pricing is always such a thorny topic for people. And especially here in the UK, I think in the States you have more, you see more of people kind of doing different pay structures and stuff. But here it's very much like this is the price. And it's always the thing that people struggle with. So I think to actually say, you know, that you don't have to have one price. You can, the pricing can be as fluid and creative as the thing itself. That could be something that's quite freeing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me with like higher priced things, right? Like live events, retreats, mastermind groups, that type of thing, the way that I set my prices and maybe you're going to laugh at this, but taking into account, obviously like the overhead costs, right. Of doing something like a retreat. But after that, I set my prices at the point where I feel like it's priced high enough that I'm really pushed to show up as my best, best self and do my best work, but not priced so high that I can't do the work because of imposter syndrome. Yeah. And that's not like a formula you can give someone, but I know what it feels like in my body when I'm like, no, this is too high. Like, I don't feel like that. I feel like so much anxiety about that price that I can't do good work. And then I also know what it feels like when it's too low. And I feel that way. That's exactly how I price. (laughs) I did an episode on that, like towards the end of last year. And I was like, I don't, I don't have a formula for you. I just do what feels right and fair. What feels fair to me? What feels fair to them? Like, where is the point where I don't resent doing this work for such a low number? And where is the point where I don't hate myself for charging such a high number? And that's that's where I pitch it because I've got nothing else to go on. Apart from when, like you say, with like in-person stuff where you have actual overheads and with physical products where you have, like, I have paid this much money. But especially for stuff like courses and coaching where it's like yeah there's the time I put into it but also there's a lot of other stuff that you know you have to find a way that just feels right Mm -hmm. so I want to just touch on quickly Instagram because we've used the word community a lot which I think a lot of people instantly think Instagram when they hear community but obviously you're talking much more in terms of Patreon and because 
Instagram isn't a huge thing for you. And actually, at the time we're recording, you're on hiatus from Instagram, aren't you? So what are your thoughts about Instagram as a business owner? Because I know for a lot of people be like, well, I can't not be on Instagram because like my business will just die. So how have you got to this place where you don't rely on it? Well, I never relied on it. So I think, you know, had I built up like an initial community or a following through there, I would feel differently, right? So I like mm-hmm. can't speak to people for whom that's the case where, you know, they essentially like started a website or courses or products like based off of their Instagram following. I can't relate to that because that wasn't the case for me. Mm-hmm. I have two Instagrams. I have a personal, well, what I think of as a personal Instagram. And then I have a little Instagram for the podcast that, that I do use, but I could be using it a lot better. It's mostly just, I put up a post when a new episode comes out. I just wanted like a landing space for that. There's a lot more that I could and maybe will do for that in the future. But I am currently on a hiatus from my personal Instagram and that and have been since early December. So basically two months now, which to be honest is something I never thought that I would do for some of the reasons that you mentioned, right? Oh my God, what's going to happen? And am I going to become irrelevant and, you know, blah, blah, ego stuff. And for me, the reason that I decided to take the break, Instagram was making me feel bad most of 2019. I just really wasn't enjoying it. And something that I have struggled with, which is one of the things that I'm working, like the reason I hired this business coach is I want to make sense for myself of where the boundaries are between my personal life and my professional life. So especially with the type of work that I do, where it is like personal story sharing. And of course, I'm creating like experiences for people with their retreats. And that's a little bit more clear cut. But like with my writing, with everything, like I'm not a fiction writer, like it is personal story sharing, right? And so I'm aware of the fact that a lot of people are in the community, like they like the work, but they're there for me, right? And like my life and my opinions on things and my, and that's great and feels very aligned and also where are the boundaries, right? What am I not willing to get feedback on? What am I like not comfortable sharing? And I really believe that honesty and privacy can exist together. And obviously I'm someone who values honesty and that's like a huge part <laughs> of my business is this honest conversation. And that doesn't have to mean like continual trauma sharing or right. The like overshare Olympics or just because you're willing to be really open about money doesn't mean you have to be really open about sex or vice versa, right? And Mm -hmm. so like really figuring out where those boundaries are for me. And I have a personal account, but like it's not really personal because if it was actually personal, it would be private and I would, you know, delete everyone except my actual really close friend. So it's not that. And it just kept feeling like, "Eh," I just didn't feel good about it for most of 2019. And it got to the point where I'm sharing so much on my podcast. I'm sharing so much with my community. I'm sharing so much in my writing that I would get to Instagram. I'm like, I have nothing left, y'all. Like, I'm good. You know, I have like, I have nothing. And what I said before, like, give people a chance to miss you. Like, I don't want to just like make noise for the sake of making noise. And I feel like Instagram the same way as like MailChimp or, you know, WordPress or Patreon, they're all tools, right? That that are like emotionally neutral. And so for me to use a tool, to integrate a tool into my life or business, there for me has to be one very clear reason why I'm using that tool at that time. That reason might change, but I at every given point want to be like, I am using this tool because X, right? And I couldn't come up with a good reason for that for Instagram. And I was like, well, until I have a reason, I'm not going to do this anymore. Mm. And that has been incredibly freeing. I've had a lot of like personal growth through that time. A lot of ego stuff has come up, right? Like if I'm not like getting these likes or interacting in this way, and I also am interested in challenging assumptions about what actually grows business and what doesn't. And, you know, what would happen if I stop like sort 
out of using Instagram, which I don't really know if it's working and actually intentionally use like other channels or mediums or kind of marketing campaigns or things that are more trackable and more strategic than what I was doing with Instagram. So I'm really, I'm happy that I'm doing it. I certainly don't see this break being forever, but I'm not, my commitment to myself is that I'm not going to start using my personal Instagram again until I have a very clear why. And until I have at least for myself, sort of like rules of engagement around like personal and professional boundaries. Mm. I was like, that's all such music to my ears because I always talk to people about that because the the questions that I get about Instagram is like, well, what should I do? Like what, what are the rules? It's like, well, what do you want it to do? Like they've built this kind of algorithm that just like changes our brains in this way that we it, we work for it. Like this is going to be the beginning of the robots taking over as the Instagram algorithm. But it's like we do lose track of the fact this is a tool that you use and it works for you, not the other way around. And we just yes, yeah, so that's always the question I want people to get out of with Instagram is like, what should I do for this platform? It's like, no, what should this platform do for you? Like, what do you want this for in your business? And if it's not like currently working then why are you agonizing over the fact that it's not currently working when you've got all this other stuff that could be working so much better so I'm glad you said that <laughs> yeah I feel like very strongly about that and um, I don't know if you're familiar with Alexandra Franzen she's a friend of mine and a writer and does a lot of wonderful work and she quit all social media I think like five years ago and has a completely thriving online business and she released and taught a free class toward the end of 2019 that was essentially all about this topic and you know which included a huge list of like, hey, here's other marketing things you can do instead. Like I think sometimes we get really short sighted of Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, it has to be Instagram or it has to look this way or it has to whatever. When like Instagram didn't used to exist, think about how popular Facebook used to be. And now like I'm not on Facebook anymore. It's like, I don't know, just helpful for me sometimes to get perspective and to realize like there's actually a lot of other things, you know, that I think it would grow my income a lot more substantially to instead of spending time sort of doing Instagram and kind of feeling shitty about it to Mm -hmm. instead, you know, create a new offering for the people that I already love in my community where like any of the number of things that you and I have talked about in this conversation that my intuition is I would be a lot better served doing that and you know wherever Instagram winds up fitting in for me sort of after that you know the real thing that I love using my personal Instagram for is usually once or twice a year I will go on a like long distance backpacking trip right like anywhere from like four to 1600 miles if I look at the last couple of years and I love telling stories from the trail right like I think it's a really fun storytelling medium Instagram and so maybe I only use it when I'm doing that and I don't use it otherwise like there's just no rules and I'm trying to lean into that so I'm I'm not trying to shoehorn in all the questions that I wanted to ask you and then they didn't come up naturally but one thing that I did really want to um, ask you about is and we haven't it hasn't even come up but that you predominantly live in a van <laughs> Um, I know at the moment that you're not, but you have a more nomadic existence. So I would, I maybe there are some podcast episodes that you could direct people to where you've talked about this in more depth if they want more on this. But how are you experiencing all the things that we've spoken about in the running of your business from a home base that isn't kind of bricks and mortar in one place forever and ever? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this could be a whole other episode, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> yeah. I So it's been relatively recent. So towards the beginning of 2019, I got divorced. And that was obviously like a domino of a lot of changes in my life financially and living situation wise and decided both for kind of adventurous reasons, but mostly for financial reasons to buy and build out a small, like really small camper van and like live in a van for a while. And part of that was because I love the work that I'm doing. It is not currently paying enough that I could have like turned around and like, okay, I'm going to get a, you know, 12 month apartment lease and buy all new furniture. And I couldn't have done that comfortably financially without getting another job or kind of switching. And I wasn't, I didn't want to give up on what I was doing. I think there's like a lot of growth potential here with this work if I'm willing to be more patient and keep my expenses lower for a couple of years. So that's what I decided to do. And so, you know, last year was my first full year of doing that. And it was a combo of, you know, living in the van, traveling for work a bunch, doing, I did a 700 mile hike. And then, you know, kind of this year I see being similar. I'm currently renting a room from a friend. I live in central Oregon for the most part, and it is very snowy and cold and not (laughs) appropriate temperature for tiny van life. So this year will probably be a combo of spend the summer in the van, hopefully do a little hiking, you know, rent rooms here or there. I'm still trying to figure that out. But what I have learned and, you know, I've been self-employed in some capacity for, you know, a very long time. And I, so not just in the last year, but I have learned that I actually don't like working and traveling at the same time. Sort of that fantasy of the like digital nomad, mm-hmm. which does truthfully work really well for a lot of folks, doesn't work well for me. I would either be working or be traveling and not at the same time because I feel that I'm not doing my best work nor am I enjoying the traveling as much as I could as if I were doing them separately. So what that I think is going to look like for me is just a slower pace of moving around, right? Like let's say I was going to go somewhere, I would try to stay in that place for a month or two, right? And have as much of like a home base as you can, because I don't like being on the move constantly and trying to work. I just, I don't feel that it serves Mm -hmm. me and I don't feel that it serves the work. So a lot of this is just a trial and error of figuring out, you know, the question that I keep coming back to is like, what do you need in order to do your best work? And that might be different for you than it is for me. And it's different for me if I'm working on you know, writing I can do from a coffee shop, right? But recording a podcast, I can't. And so the nature of this work too is that it's not just as easy as having an internet connection. It has to be, as you know, like really quiet, great Mm -hmm. Wi-Fi if you're recording this way. You know, I just, I need different things. And so, you know, that, I have to take that into consideration. It's not just as easy as like, get in the van, go wherever, work from wherever. Like that's very stressful for me. Mm -hmm. And so part of it is like, yeah, being honest about what I actually need in order to do my best work. And that is some semblance of a home base. So, you know, when I'm living in the van here in Bend, luckily because of, you know, friends and, you know, just like my network here, I have plenty of places to record and that's great, right? So this is a great place for me to do something that's like a little bit more adventurous or non-traditional of a lifestyle and not sacrifice the work. So I don't know if that like necessarily answers your question, but yeah, no, (laughs) it does. I think it's because I imagine for a lot of people that it is a sort of someday dream or like, oh, you see the digital nomads and you think, oh, they've got it. But I think it's always interesting to kind of say, yeah, it doesn't always work for everybody. And I think a lot of what you're saying is that you have to take a one thing at a time approach and be like, I have to be all in on traveling or I have to be all in on work and I can't split my attention that way, which is, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think it would be different had I come at, you know, kind of van life from the perspective of, 
this is my dream. I'm going to save up for a couple of years to like quit my job and move into a van and like travel and maybe like blog along the way. Right. Like I think that would be totally a different thing, but essentially I am trying to do everything that I would normally do in a house or apartment just cheaper. Right. Like this is a hugely financial motivate, financially motivated decision for me. So it's like the same thing, the same way that I would just like, you know, now that I'm renting this room, I like get up and I work at my little desk, right. That I would get up in the van and go to the library or the coffee shop and do like that. It's, it's very similar. It's not as like glamorous. In fact, it's like not that glamorous at all when you have to you know, like pee in a jar in the van, like in the back and like figure out where to do laundry and like where to shower. And like, there's a lot about it that is challenging. And for me right now, financially, the trade-off is worth it. So Nicole, I've got one last question for you, which is how do you grow a soul in your work and life? I love this question. I think my most honest answer is that I am willing to question everything there are very few things that we absolutely unequivocally must do. And I think for me that like soul-centered growth, like you're talking about, requires that I challenge everything else and that I'm not afraid to do things my own way, even if it's different from what other people are doing. Love that. Yeah. And that makes total sense given the rest of the conversation (laughs) we've just had. (laughs) So for anybody who wants to come and say hi or connect with your work, where's the best place for them to do that? Um, Well, the podcast is called Real Talk Radio and realtalkradiopodcast.com is sort of the online landing space. So you can find, I'm I'm all over. You can find me from there for sure. (laughs) I'm not hard to find. (laughs) Well, thanks so much, Nicole. Thank you. Any links we mentioned in this episode will be on my website, which is simpleandseason.com forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Instagram at simpleandseason and Real Talk Radio is at Real Talk Radio Pod. As always, if you think you have a friend who would really benefit from listening to this conversation, please do send them the link to the episode and share where you're listening online too. And I haven't asked you this for a little while, so if you could just scroll down there in your app and leave a rating and review if you enjoyed the show, that would really help too. Until next time, I hope you grow a soul.